Hello and welcome to episode 49 of the UC Architects, the world's most popular exchange link and Office 365 podcast. Today's show was recorded on Sunday, the 1st of March, and it's the third show of 2015. I'm your host, Exchange MVP Steve Goodman, and this week I'm joined by John Cook, Pat Richard, Dave Stork, and Michelle Doroy. Hi, guys. Hi, Steve. Hello. As always, we've got a packed show for you talking about the latest developments in the Microsoft unified communications world. Coming up on the show, we've got a shed load of Exchange and Office 365 stories, including updates to the Outlook mobile app, new training courses, fixes for unusual IMAP issues, a great new script for multiple Exchange virtual directories, a look at one of Microsoft's latest acquisitions, Sunrise. Some new offerings from BitTitan, automated troubleshooting utilities, Azure AD sync updates, and much, much more. But if Skype for Business or Link is your thing, then you won't be disappointed either. We've got a range of new tools that can do wild and wonderful things using the Link SDK. New updates for Link, a weird issue discovered when connecting to a non-federated partner, and some other bugs. We'll also be discussing some blog posts on troubleshooting and Link licensing. But before we begin, this UC Architects episode is sponsored by Instant Technologies, experts in enterprise click-to-chat and e-discovery solutions. Instant Technologies announces Instant Chime for Microsoft Link. Transform your service desk with Chime and move your support operations from endangered species to wise enterprise. Start your Chime trial today at www adchime.com and join the conversation on Twitter via at Team Instant. And from us, thanks goes to Instant for making it a little bit easier to bring you this podcast. Without further ado, let's get straight into the show. As always, I'm hosting uh, the Exchange Topics first uh, and Pat hosts the Link stuff, so hopefully we'll give a bigger focus to Exchange on these episodes. Uh, so forgive us uh, if you're the person that wrote in uh, who wasn't too happy with our Exchange coverage last time around. Our apologies. Uh, so, uh, let's get on with the exchange topics, uh, and then slowly drift into some of the exchange, uh, some of the Office 365 specific topics, and then go on to the Skype for Business stuff. So, first up, uh, you'll remember on episode 47, we discussed uh, the new Outlook mobile apps. Since then, over the last month, Microsoft have been true to their promise, and we've seen not one, but two updates. Every two weeks, as promised. The second update uh, really only covered a few bug fixes and font issues, but the first update was quite major and fixed a couple of critical flaws. The first is pin lock. Uh, so if the ActiveSync policy requires the user to have set a pin, Outlook for iOS will now uh, not allow any access to the data until a pin is configured at the device level. Android goes slightly further and enforces the screen lock rules, allowing some real complexity rules to be set, so like password length and rules to wipe the device after a set number of failed attempts. The second major update of interest uh, in the Outlook uh, for mobile apps is uh, remote wipes. Uh, in the first release, remote wipes could take a little while to execute, and now apparently they will execute in just a few seconds. So those combined with IMAP support and some additional user-centric features make, in my eyes, uh, quite a good set of updates. Uh, and, yep, true to their word, two uh, over the last uh, month. So if this is the way forward, uh, then it's looking very good. Uh, what do you think, guys? Yeah, I, um, I'm happy for the updates. Um, I've, been, I've actually made this my, my – we were talking about it last time we 
talked about the app. I made it my primary uh, mail app on my iPhone now, so that's a you know, <laughs> it's a pretty big accomplishment pumping up, pumping off the native mail app. I mean, it's not. I mean, it needs it still needs some work. I wish the fonts were different, or you could choose the fonts and get them more like you know, system fonts. Kind of small, and it's hard for my old eyes to read it sometimes. <laughs> um, I notice some lag sometimes when new mail comes in every now and then. This, the order like we were talking about before, too, the ordering of the threads sometimes is puzzling. So sometimes I have to go back to the mail, the actual, you know, the native mail app to figure out where in the chain this thread of the thread, you know, this message came in because sometimes they're out of order. It seems or some weird kind of. But otherwise, I, I like it a lot, and and uh, and I suspect that the, the, the adding pin lock and stuff is a big deal because. One of the reasons why I'm sure a lot of people are banning it corporate-wise. So, uh, so Dave, you have for years uh, blogged about uh, mobile device issues, mobile apps for exchange. Uh, right. we, I didn't hear your take. You went on the, the last episode when I first discussed it. So, first of all, yeah. just give us a, a quick, uh, you know, 30 seconds on what your take is on the app because I'd, I'd love to hear it and uh, what you think of the latest updates. Well, the, the the app itself, the functionality is great. Um, I, I've had a quick look at it uh, on both Android and, and uh, iOS, and uh, I, I quite like it uh, from a, from a user uh, viewpoint. And I would also just to make a quick remark. I would also like to see this on Windows Phone, but okay, just accept it that it doesn't exist yet. So Windows Ten. It's yeah. got a mail app. Which again, well, you, you it know, actually has two. Well, the, the Universal Office app has uh, two different distinct apps, I believe. Uh, the calendar, Outlook Calendar, and Outlook Mail. And uh, so, and, and they work, they are different. And um, But how different is not yet uh, clear because we don't have access, I believe, to the Universal Office apps. Um, uh, but we do have access to the. Uh, uh, this, the iOS and uh, uh, Android app, and uh, well, to come back on 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 how I feel about the app as a as a end user, I like the app, but as a Exchange admin and especially uh, one um, in in uh, situated in Europe, uh, well, we still uh, have some trouble with the um, uh, caching of credentials and and data on. Um, uh, US-based uh, uh, servers. So, um, and and that is not fixed yet in this update, but that would be quite quick. So I wasn't expecting that, but it's still on the roadmap. Um, yeah. But I, I'm, I'm guessing, especially for those who are already on Office 365, um, when the um, uh, caching uh, will be performed on Microsoft servers and infrastructure with the same uh, privacy uh, and, and regulation as the Office 365 or uh, specifically Exchange Online, then um, 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 most things will probably be, uh, most, most um, reasons to block the app will probably go away for a lot of Sounds people. like we're in agreement then. Uh, yeah. Michelle, your take on these updates? Yeah, it's a uh, first step in the adoption of these uh, apps <clears throat> for corporate environments. So. And Pat, I don't want to miss you out. <laughs> uh, you know what, it's been so long since I've been in the exchange space, <laughs> I, I, I really don't have anything to say on it. <laughs> so, well, I, I thought I, sh- I should include you <laughs> just for completeness. Okay, cool. Uh, so, so I think we're, we're mostly in agreement, uh, except for Pat, who just doesn't care. Uh, so, you know, he, he shouldn't be installing Outlook. <laughs> well, I, you should be I, I installing the, the Link I, Mobile I, client instead. I, 
you know, I, I do care. I wouldn't yeah. want to uh, have this section become, you know, appalling to our Exchange users, but um, <laughs> um, I, I actually haven't followed along the issue, unfortunately. Anyway, so we'll move along. Uh, so next up, uh, we've got uh, a good article here on... Uh, well, it's a good how-to on Exchange 2013 and Exchange 2010. Coexistence when using Kerberos authentication. So in this article, over on the Exchange team blog, Rossmith 4 covers an important topic for those planning their migration. So way back uh, when in 2011, Ross uh, posted on the Exchange team blog and made it pretty clear that the main recommendation was to use Kerberos authentication with Mappy clients. So rolling the ASA account and configuring service principal names should be something uh, those who have deployed Exchange 2010 are reasonably familiar with. So what this article helps you with is the steps you need to take during coexistence. So how to get from an Exchange 2010 environment with Kerberos authentication enabled to one where Exchange 2013 also has Kerberos enabled and clients can connect to their mailboxes without issue. So it's not a long article, uh, and if you've done this before, then it should make a lot of sense. If you haven't, then it's worth combining this with a bit of back reading on the how and why you should perform this for Exchange 2010 in the first place. Uh, next up is a new training course uh, from Paul Cunningham. Yes, he's at it again. If you're a regular listener to the show, then you will no doubt be familiar with Paul, uh, a.k.a. Exchange Server Pro. Uh, he's uh, an Exchange MVP and he writes all sorts of stuff. So me, him and some other of the UC architects have worked with him on regular occasions in the past. Uh, and uh, you'll usually know that he publishes mainly via uh, his own Exchange Server Pro site. This time, though, he's joined forces for, I think, the first time with Windows IT Pro to deliver a training course, high availability for Exchange Server 2013. It's already begun, but you can catch up online if you are quick. Uh, so having co-authored with Paul recently, I'd expect it to be absolutely fantastic. We'll have the link up for that on the blog. Now, we've got two great articles next from... Uh, and for, forgive me if I'm saying this wrong, Dutch guys. Uh, Jetsy Melema? Uh, is, is that right? Enough. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and two, what, one, uh, I won't go into too much detail uh, on the first one because it's really, if you come across this, then it'll be useful to you. So if, you're, if you've got an issue uh, with broken IMAP on Exchange 2013, uh, then this article is going to take you through some steps to, to fix it if you happen to hit this specific problem. The second one is a bit more interesting. Uh, so, were you guys aware that Windows Mobile will not support any new SSL certificates? Uh, I certainly wasn't, anyway. Uh, so, Windows Mobile 5, Windows Mobile 6, they uh, this, you wouldn't think they're still around, but they will be around, especially for organizations that have custom apps, things like that, that are deployed and also using email. Uh, a long time ago, the Windows Mobile client... Uh, was the one that was almost developed to work really, really well with uh, with Exchange Server. It supports all the policies that Exchange does, app restrictions, the full works. It, it, it almost had uh, what we know now, now call an MDM solution uh, inside the phone. However, if you're renewing your certificate now, then those devices won't be able to connect. They don't support uh, the, the modern... Uh, certificates so unfortunately you might either have to roll your own 
or uh, bin those devices and move on. Uh, so, so yeah, goodbye Exchange Server, uh, goodbye Windows Mobile 5 and 6. I, I still got my my Windows Mobile six oh, I have, device yeah, somewhere. I have so many devices. I have a tilt, and, and I still love the the ActiveSync <laughs> implementation of Windows Mobile six six point one and, and and higher. So I still got some nostalgia there. <laughs> well, oh, I, I, how about nostalgia? Like when your battery uh, your battery drained out, you lose all your data. How about that nostalgia? Oh, oh. Well, that, that that was older. That was fixed. That was that fixed. Was, that was a long, long time. I remember so going, oh, my God, I got 1% left and just running and looking for a charger. <laughs> but, but, but still, the, 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 the SMS, the short message uh, service uh, synchronization, and, and that's still something I really, really miss. By a Samsung? By, well, oh, the, no. the Samsung mobiles have that. In, in, in a Windows mobile? Uh, Windows phone? Well, uh, not in their Windows. No, in their Android client. The Android ActiveSync client they provide has SMS right. Sync. Um, yeah. But, but no. it, it had the full combination of policies. Battery life was rubbish. Scrolling was rubbish. Using the device was rubbish. The apps provided for it were rubbish. Rubbish. But it, was, it wasn't a bad ActiveSync client. No, it was very good. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll forego with the SMS Sync then. <laughs> um, but... Uh, uh, I, I, I had three or four. I, I used to be really into car PCs, and I think if you still look on my blog and go www.stevieg.org slash car PC, you'll see that I, about, right up until about 2005, I was putting car uh, putting car, car computers, as they were called, into my car. At the time, it was a, a Ford Focus, and uh, it was Windows Mobile that made me realize that it was kind of pointless because I could just have something in my pocket a smartphone that connected to the internet could connect to any sort of devices and uh, and I I could have everything I wanted uh, on my person at all times not just in the car so at that point I sort of petered off uh, building computers to fit in the car and I think I had three or four of those devices over the years uh, before I got my first iPhone well, but for for those that that really have a problem with the uh, certificate issue with Windows Mobile, they uh, probably uh, will have to look into Windows 10 uh, as an upgrade. Um, for well, the Raspberry Pi 2 will have a uh, uh, Windows 10 version for it. So, well, I, that is a solution for some some people out there. I, I think that the main solution that I would take if I couldn't get rid of the devices uh, would be to. Uh, put my own CA certificate on the device oh, right. and, yeah. and roll my own uh, if it, if there's a dependency like an app or something like that uh, but but it's, it is time to say goodbye uh, yeah. there's reasons why those certificates uh, are no longer available uh, so regular listeners will no doubt be familiar with uh, Jeff Gillett aka XPTA uh, already been on the show when we uh, talked about the Exchange Masters program being scrapped uh, so Jeff has recently released uh, the new hyphen exchange website PowerShell script for your enjoyment. But what is it? Just before episode 48, Microsoft wrote a post on the Exchange team blog, so just a couple of weeks ago, providing some detail on how to configure multiple Outlook web app and ECP, or Exchange Admin Center virtual directories, uh, on the Exchange 2013 client access servers. So, I mean, why, why, would, you, why would you want to do that? Isn't one OWA and ECP good enough for you, I hear? Uh, well, there's two major reasons. Firstly, you might need to separate the administrator and user EAC access, in particular to prevent access to the Exchange Admin Center from the Internet. 
or you might have different sets of users within the organizations who need a different OWA experience. So the list of steps to perform is fairly complex. And most importantly, they need to be undone and then redone every time you apply a cumulative update. So that's, you know, that, that's going to be at least every six months. The steps in summary include adding an additional IP address to the server, then adding a new SSL bound website in the IS management console. Uh, you need to add some new directories, copy all the content from the multiple folders across, change all the permissions, and then of course, create the virtual directories in exchange and configure both the old and the new ones. So if you don't like the idea of that, uh, but you need to do it, then you'll find Jeff's new hyphen exchange website script invaluable. So well done, Jeff. Uh, and the link is up on the site. Yeah, good stuff. Indeed, yes. Uh, and it, I, I always love it when you see little scripts like that, because those are the kind of ones that, that always always make the difference to an exchange admin's life. Dave, uh, your, uh, your your article is next. Uh, well, actually, two. two. So, Dave, uh, talking of little scripts that make things easier for admins, <laughs> we've got two here. But first up, uh, Microsoft bought Sunrise, a uh, calendar app. Uh, yeah. A few weeks ago, and uh, you've you've written an article giving us a, a quick look at that. Uh, so, can you give us a quick overview then? What what is Sunrise, and why well, why should it matter? Yeah, well, Sunrise is a is a uh, calendaring app for for users, and its its main goal is to uh, all put all your calendars to better together in one application, and not not just your Gmail and your Outlook or your company mail uh, or calendar application, but also stuff like um, your Foursquare check-ins, um, your your reservations uh, or or your your tickets bought in Eventbrite, events stuff like that. So it's it's a uh, it's just more than just a calendar app. It's just a conglomeration of all your um, uh, events and and appointments and stuff like that. So that um, and it, it takes it quite far, and it has a lot of uh, integration with a lot of other uh, internet services. And um, I've tested it quickly for for iOS and Android, and I quite liked it. Um, I see a real benefit in it, especially uh, comparable with the uh, Accompli uh, Outlook app, um, which also has a goal to um, um, put all your mailboxes in one application together. So it makes sense that they bought this application. Um, but because there were some security issues uh, with the uh, previously mentioned Outlook app, and we just touched on that uh, a few moments ago, I decided to check um, the application and, and well, just to already get some uh, fam f familiarity with it, uh, to, to get acquainted with it. Um, especially, um, um, I was interested to know how it works, um, uh, whether it, it caches data on, on external servers, for instance, because that is, uh, especially here in Europe, is that uh, a major thing. Um, and, um, well, basically, both for uh, iOS and Android, it just uses the local... Um, 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 cache uh, or the local synchronization of your calendar and then imports those events in um, its own calendar. Um, that's only for Exchange, uh, by the way. So for Gmail and Outlook and stuff like that, that the, the application then uh, pulls those, that information from the web, but only the Exchange and ActorSync data is now, um, uh, there's a two-step uh, 
synchronization uh, via the uh, native application. So you need to have an ActiveSync um, um, account uh, configured on your device, on your iOS or um, Android device, and then uh, the application uses uh, the internal operating system to access and copy that data back into its own storage within that app. Um, and like the Outlook app at all, man? No, 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 no. Uh, not at this moment. Uh, they, uh, because you also have a website uh, version of this application, and uh, when you, uh, you have to have an, an Sunrise account, and um, if you enter any other account, Gmail or, or, or Twitter or, or whatever, um, they um, prefer to use OAuth, and so you don't have to um, uh, hand over your credentials to Sunrise. Uh, you just have to allow the Sunrise application to access your data. And uh, so that is the way how uh, Sunrise access your Gmail uh, calendar and your uh, Foursquare um, information. And that hasn't been enabled yet for um, uh, Exchange. And my uh, and if you um, um, enter um, an account on your app, then it immediately is accessible on the website version of this uh, of the Sunrise calendar, uh, with the major exception um, for Exchange accounts. Those are not available on the website as of yet. That may change, and I wouldn't be surprised if they would uh, use some um, backend from from the Outlook app, the mail app. Um, but no real information is known about that. Uh, they just bought it a few few weeks ago, so uh, I'm, I'm I'm guessing they are figuring stuff out. But um, as of yet, uh, uh, for um, if if you consider security concerns um, with this app, I don't see any reasons to to um, uh, especially for specifically these uh, exchange and ActiveSync uh, connectivity because it doesn't uh, directly connect to your Exchange server or your uh, Exchange Online um, uh, service. Uh, it also it always has to go through the device itself, and that device then you can manage with the device access rules already implemented in Exchange itself. Okay, so it's not... It, you wouldn't use the Outlook app and this together at the moment uh, because you need the calendar on the local device in the, the IR settings as well. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, so I mean, you it, could, though, I mean... You, you could, could, but you yeah, you you, you need to have an 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 active uh, an act an, an, an active active sync account on your iPad or Android device. So and if if that's not allowed, because you can block the active sync uh, protocol for everybody, and for instance, only allow the um, mobile um, uh, so, sorry the OWA for Android or iOS, the precursor of the complete Outlook app, um, then you would have a, uh, a problem because you you need to have active sync on your device yeah so so what you'd be looking at is is probably a few months until this gets integrated into maybe the outlook app as as features we're not likely to see a big new release uh where this sunrise app is rebranded as outlook calendar or something i i'm i guessing it's it it uh, well, it's it's mostly speculating, but um, um, 
if I'm uh, if I look at Windows 10 and the Universal Office apps uh, or the Outlook apps, and then we see that we have an Outlook calendar and an Outlook mail, much like now with the mail, the Windows 8 mail and calendar and people app uh, are are sort of sort of one app, but three separate apps and i think that they want um well that is on windows 10 the universal office um and i'm guessing that they want to uh, sort of have the same um experience on other devices so that you have a different outlook mail app and a different uh, separate uh, calendar app and the sunrise uh, it would be logical that the sunrise calendar app would be the outlook calendar app so so like mail if you go into OWO at the moment you click outlook that's your mail if you go to calendar that's your calendar and so on so outlook yeah. is synonymous for mail uh, in this this new world order well, uh, Outlook. Well, I, I, it could be that the Outlook uh, app will be rebranded to Outlook Mail app. Um, but yeah, like I said, that's just speculation because um, speculate please. away. Yeah, Knock yeah. Yourself yeah. out. We can, you know, we we can make up what we want. Uh, the the most fun thing is speculating when you actually know what the real answer is, and you're trying to make it sound as if you don't. So go ahead. <laughs> and I really don't. So uh, or do no. you? <laughs> You're hiding behind an NDA. <laughs> Who no, knows? <laughs> or, or maybe. No, no, but you don't. So no. Um, but, but for instance, well, I, I see some some issues if you have two separate apps, and and well, because the Accompli Mail Outlook app does have some calendar features, and it's logical because if you receive a uh, meeting request per mail, how does the uh, Sunrise Calendar app handle that, and do you have to accept it in your um, uh, a mail application, or do you have to uh, do that in the calendar application? Yeah, and that's a good point. I mean, that's the well, and that's, you, you know, we, we obviously we have talked about this before, and you could argue this is it, it's Apple's fault, and I would agree to some of that. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no way to change you, in the in the Sunrise app. You can change some of the default apps, but like so, yeah. Mail app is one of them, but Outlook isn't, you know, and hopefully that changes too. But that's sort of an iOS thing, but you know, but I, I guess they could put it in there because if if they, if they show other mail apps you know but yeah uh, well and especially if if they are going to use the the uh, outlook mail uh, the, the 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 caching availability of the the, the caching of the accessing data uh, they could use that for the sunrise application as well uh, and you can you can go around some of the issues you have with the local uh, operating system of your device uh, but that uh, might have some implications for, um, um, especially in Europe, uh, if, if, if yeah, if it's not allowed to have uh, uh, the data anywhere else uh, but your own servers. Well, it's funny too because I mean uh, the announcement that Microsoft was buying them made me remember the app because I, I remember when it came out. I tried it and I there was a reason why I didn't like it at the time. Maybe it didn't support Exchange when it first came out. There was some reason why I looked at it. I'm like, you know, and I moved on to other other calendar apps. Um, but uh, so now you know the, the announcement caused me to kind of take a take a second look at it, and I, and I like it. Uh, I've been using I think I mentioned before I've been using Tempo on iOS as my calendar app, and I like that a lot. So I'm going to try to give Sunrise a, a chance. But I yeah I would love to see this stuff um, and you know add it into the Outlook you know so when you hit calendar in, in the Outlook app that that basically you're getting the Sunrise app that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. I've got to admit, despite known issues with the calendar app, I I do use that as my default calendar app. Uh, and my my wife does as well. So you know, I, I publish my calendar via iCal, so she can see where you know the the, 
the high level detail of where I'm going to be next week and that kind of stuff. And I, I think it's a, overall a good built in app. Uh, it can do availability. It can. Uh, it's got some nice buttons on it if you want to email all the attendees. It's not perfect by a long means, but the built-in app's not terrible. Uh, so does Sunrise have Outlook categories or anything like that? Um, that would be the killer for me. Oh, that's a good question. I, I didn't look too too deep into the uh, those kind of features. I was more more interested in the back end because cool. the the front end will probably change uh, quite a lot. Uh, I, I I would imagine. Um, so I, I don't know about that. I like the trip it, uh, the TripIt integration. That's that's cool too. Yeah. Yeah, 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 well, that is the the, the, the best thing of this app is, is is just the whole philosophy of uh, the new Microsoft philosophy services. You have you use services with your device, but you know, it shouldn't matter which device it is. And uh, I think that this uh, purchase uh, reflects that philosophy. From yeah, Microsoft. and it's, it's it is a good one. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know I, I do see various Microsoft employees embracing that as well. Uh, you know, I, I saw one with a Mac the other day. Uh, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Redmond's on fire as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because that's, that's the point. It shouldn't ma- you know, that, that's the, the position. It shouldn't matter what you use. And if you've got a difficult customer, it, it, even they accept, you know, w- walking up with the, the latest apps on a Mac, uh, showing that you can do everything on a Mac, is is good or you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's. I'll we, be surprised the day this. I see them with a Linux desktop because hell, that's not even made it. Linux itself hasn't made it onto the desktop yet. <laughs> so I mean, I've uh, probably said this a thousand times. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, there was always this. It seemed like there was this war at Microsoft where you know, the, you know, one camp wanted everything tied to Windows and screw everybody else, you know, and the other you know camp wanted to uh, make just write the best software they could and, and, and get in as many platforms and i'm glad to see the latter clearly is one you know i mean uh, a great point i mean this just came out today at mobile conference uh, congress um you know i'm you know how much a big fan i have samsung phones but the, the new galaxy is coming with um a microsoft folder right on the desktop you know right on the, the main screen with uh, one note and i i think it was one note and outlook and i think something else um, which is a bit, you know, which is cool. You know, it's, it's called a flagship Android device. <laughs> Chuckle, <laughs> but I mean that's cool. You know, and, and who would have thought Indeed, of that yeah. being being possible three years ago or two years ago? You know, yeah. And then, you know, and that being said, I mean, I, on my iOS device, I probably, you know, a third of my main, you know, my front screen, my homepage icons are Microsoft icons. You know, so there's been some blog posts where people have said that that that's the case, and they never thought that would happen. So yes, it's a good day for Microsoft. Moving on to our last exchange topic uh, before we head into the, the, the cloud uh, of Office 365. Uh, so last one is, again, Dave, and it's RBAC Manager R2 for Exchange. Yeah. Uh, so why why should we use this? Why is this? <laughs> Send well, it to me. Uh, was, well, was, uh, sell it to you. Okay. Um, well, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Last week, I, I had to explain, or I had to um, uh, discuss with the customer about. I had a discussion with uh, a customer about RBAC in Exchange 2013, and they wanted to uh, adjust the default uh, uh, groups and definitions already present in, in Exchange uh, 2013. And RBAC stands for Role-Based Access Control, uh, in which you can um, um, very uh, narrowly define which user can or which admin can do whatever things. Um, but um, well, the well, most cases we, we should probably give a little bit more 
of a background of what Arbac is then. So there's there's it's usually described with a triangle, uh, where you've got the the administrators, uh, then you've got you know all the group of administrators, you've got the scope uh, of of what they can affect, and you've got the actions that they can take. For example, if they can write to somebody's display name, uh, and that's uh, and that together is Arbac. Yeah, so, and you have predefined roles that in, in a lot of cases are probably okay, uh, but there are always customers that have a need for a customization. And if anybody has, has digged into uh, customizing RBAC uh, roles, that, well, that can be, uh, first you have to um, understand the principles of RBAC. And then you have to look at, okay, which um, 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 predefined uh, groups are are the best fit for me, but have to be adjusted and stuff like that. So it, it can be uh, quite a while to um, um, understand it and then configure it and then configure it correctly. Um, and it can be a real pain in the ass is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank That's you for, that, for the summary. Yeah. And... <laughs> Well, it, it's all, it's all, all, uh, all done in PowerShell, and, and a lot of people don't like PowerShell because that's difficult and stuff like that. And Ooh. I uh, <laughs> and I found this um, tool just recently. I never heard of it, about this before. It was Arabic Manager R2 for Exchange. It said it was for Exchange 2010, uh, 2013 uh Preview and Exchange Online. Well, I use it with uh, Exchange 2013 uh, Cumulative Update 5, and I didn't have any issues. And it is just a perfect tool. It has a just a, a graphic user interface for uh, um, watching or, or have an overview of all the management roles that are predefined. Um, you can edit them, or you can make a copy of them and edit the copy. Um, you can search for commandlets, and you can see whether which of the management roles have that specific commandlet in it. So you can uh, look for it. For instance, if you need the um, clear mobile device commandlet, well, you search, you type it in, you filter it, and then you get to see the. Uh, specific management roles that have that command in it so you can know which roles you can assign to users or you can adjust them and you can adjust um, 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 practically anything that is possible in, in, in PowerShell um, so um, the, the the customer I was working with, they, they wanted to remove the uh, remote wipe functionality in the help desk uh, or indeed recipient management um, um, role group. And it was easy. I just had to make a copy of the uh, specific management role, uh, just have to uh, tick off the uh, specific commandlets that I didn't want uh, uh, those persons to, to um, um, be able to perform and then save it, and then everything just works fine. So uh, I'm amazed that... that I didn't find this tool a lot earlier because it's it's already from um, I think the last update is from 2012 or something like that. So it's quite an old tool, um, but it's uh, it's up on uh, Coplex. The source code is in C sharp and it's uh, openly available. Uh, but there's also a binary that works perfectly fine. So if you cool. um, 
if you have to work with R back and you don't want to dig into all the, the, the theoretical stuff, it's a very great addition to your tool set, in my opinion. Cool. Yeah, I agree. I, I, uh, it's, it's pretty slick. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate you calling out because I could have used this about a million times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was the thought I had exactly. when I, I just did a Bing search and I, this one popped up uh, and I, I was looking for some tools or some explanations for the customer to uh, hand over to them. It's like, okay, here, here you have a blog article or something like for RBAC that explains it very easily. And it sounds uh, like you're blown away. And yeah, I was. Um, yeah, cool. There's going to be people listening going, yeah, I've been using that for years. Well, what <laughs> yeah. architects? They've been doing it the hard way. Uh, exactly. So, yeah, excellent. So, moving on to our cloudy topics next with Office 365. Uh, and, as I said, I'm going to run through these fairly quickly. Uh, so, first up, BitTitan uh, is offering Nuix as a service. So, if you're not familiar with Nuix, then it's uh, it's a tool that can help migrate third-party archives like uh, Symantec, Enterprise Vault, and, and similar to uh, back into Exchange. Uh, and it's primarily used in things like Exchange Online migration projects. It's often expensive to set up, uh, so this could be very, very useful if you need to be able to just get going with it very quickly. However, there's still, there's still the same type of per-data volume prices. Uh, so it's good to see. Uh, that it's easier to set up, but of course it's still an expensive tool. Our second BitTitan topic is uh, for the migration fans here. Uh, BitTitan have updated uh, their migration with PowerShell commandlets. Uh, Jethro has posted some some ideas on how to use them over on the BitTitan blog. So we've linked to, to both those up there on the show. Uh, we mentioned this, I think, in passing on the last show. Uh, the sign-in page branding and cloud self-service password reset, both Azure, AD Premium and Basic features, are now free for everybody. Uh, I think this is very, very good news for those that use DirSync with Password Sync. It's great to be able to customize the sign-in pages. And the customization is, is in the same place that you'll find the customization for things like the, the top bar, branding, color and, and logo. Uh, so that's rolling out, I believe, at the moment. The self-service password reset is just for cloud passwords. So if you're syncing passwords, it's not going to. It doesn't include the password right back. It doesn't include ADFS or anything like that. So if you've got cloud-only passwords, then you can have self-service password reset. Uh, the next one is there's an automated hybrid troubleshooting experience now available. Uh, so I'd, I'd imagine that this has come out of things like the onboarding center for Office 365. Uh, and what this allows is uh, is you to go through the process that Microsoft might take you through and uh, give you some possible solutions. Uh, so effectively, instead of going through first level support, second level support, all the way up to engineering, it's giving you what engineering would say if they saw this happen uh, in your situation. So ho hopefully giving you an answer very quickly and saving you uh, a long support call. Uh, so we'll have the link up to that uh, on the blog. Uh, Paul Cunningham uh, has came uh, has came up with a, a good spot from the Office 365 roadmap. Shared mailbox sent items uh, are being changed in Office 365. So later versions of or later patch levels of Exchange 2010 allows you to configure the sent items behaviour for shared mailboxes, so that when you send an item. Uh, from a shared mailbox, the sent item will be stored with, within the shared mailbox itself. 2013 and Exchange Online don't have that feature. But uh, it looks 
No, they don't. But it looks like it's coming <laughs> to Office 365. It's it's still it's still too bad if it won't come back in the on-prem uh, version of Exchange because it's it's one of the most asked about features in my experience. It, it is, yeah. It might be one for the next version because although they're saying Exchange Online, then that could mean from their perspective Exchange 2016 uh, from an on-premises perspective. So maybe it skipped a whole version. But of course, the release cadence is. You know, a little bit quicker than it. At least, uh, is it about a year quicker than it was last time around? Uh, but it, it at least feels like they're releasing stuff quicker. So maybe it'll come in the next version of on-premises. Maybe it won't. Uh, but it's coming to Office 365, which is it is, is you know a lot of people that are moving from 2010. It's one of those things that they might not they might not catch until they've moved over. Uh, the, the next one is from me. Uh, so I've been meaning to write this article for absolutely ages. It's, uh, it goes alongside my using the hybrid configuration wizard in Exchange 2010 article. It's my, it's my using the hybrid config wizard in Exchange 2013 series, uh, where I'm looking at all the sort of prereqs that you need to cover if you want to easily and quickly run the hybrid configuration wizard without too many issues. Uh, part one of that is up now, and that's covering all those sort of basics, like making sure your domains are registered properly, making sure that you've looked in all the right places for proxy server settings, make sure that you've published Exchange properly, all, all the basics are covered. And then we'll we'll run through uh, the in the next part uh, all the, the the running of the hybrid configuration wizard itself. And then after you run it, there's a ton of stuff that you need to do as well to make sure that you've actually done a full job. Uh, so that series is going to cover all those things. And to be honest, it's the the, the 2010 version is the one that uh, I refer to the most. I find it I find it most useful. Uh, so yeah, we'll uh, we'll be covering that uh, in probably the in, in the next show as and when the parts are released. But part one is up now. Uh, Office 365 deployment content is moving, uh, so that's going from Tenet to the Office uh, the Office support site, and uh, Azure Sync Services has been updated. So that's our Office 365 topics done, and now uh, just to get the right person covering the right section and give us some feedback if you like this, we're going to try something new. Pat's going to cover off the link topics, uh, so he can really be the man in the know uh, this time around. So uh, Pat, over to you. All right, and uh, circling around to our link topics for this episode, the first up is uh, a new little test app written by Tom Morgan. And Tom is one of our colleagues at Modality Systems. He's one of our awesome developers. And uh, his article was more about how to do different things using the, uh, the Link 2013 SDK. And the example that he came up with was how to pause music when you uh, when you take or make a call in link. So as you probably know, when, um, when you answer a call and the call is connected or you, you, you dial uh, an outbound call, link will turn the volume down on, on whatever you're listening to, whether it's Windows Media Player or uh, iTunes. And so Tom wrote a little applet that now will just pause that, uh, that music, which is kind of nice. You know, if you're listening to something like a, a an audio book or something, you don't necessarily want the volume to get turned down. You want it to pause so you can pick up when, uh, where you left off. And uh, so it's a nice little app. It's more about a concept on how to do different things with the SDK. But it's a cool little thing to be running in your system tray to, uh, to make life a little easier for it for you. Next up, um, 
disabling the customer experience uh, program. So in the link client, you can configure two little settings. And one of them is about signing up for the customer experience improvement program. And the other one is about automatically sending link improvement program info to Microsoft. Um, and the issue here is that uh, only one of those uh, can be configured by a group po- or by a uh, inbound policy, and that is the um, automatically send link improvement program info to Microsoft. That's in the CS client policy. But if you want to disable the other one, uh, Richard Schwendeman, who's a PFE at Microsoft, came up with uh, the registry key that you can tweak using a GPO on how to disable that. So um, kudos to Richard for coming up with, uh, you know, a quick fix for that. Yeah, I think I totally missed this. Yeah, yeah, very, very nice. You know, and uh, his article says that, you know, it came about because, you know, they had a customer that was asking about it. So he tracked down the the, the registry key. So and it's, it's real easy to, yeah, it's real easy to, to configure registry keys with a group policy. So uh, next up, um, new update for the link environment report. Um, so, yeah, we, we've had Chris Cook on here previously. Chris is uh, uh, a consultant, and um, he wrote the kind of what I consider the de facto uh, script for documenting your link environment. And uh, I, I was kind of bugging him about this. Uh, we wanted a way to um, have the script create the Word document using a specific Word template. So... Um, if if you weren't uh, if you didn't listen to the episode that Chris was on, he has a script that does uh, three things. It creates a Word document that lists your entire environment, all the configuration settings, and everything. It'll also create a Visio diagram of the environment, and then also a um, an Excel spreadsheet with all of your Link Voice uh, uh, configuration information in it. And the Word document is really good. You know, for a long time we've uh, we've used it and send it right out to a customer just by, you know, t- the only tweak we've done is throw their logo at the top. Uh, but now Chris uh, has added in support so that you can you can specify your own uh, Word document and have it uh, put the data right into that document. So it saves you a little bit of editing time if you... So, if, so you just, if you had a custom template like with your company, you header, footer, all that stuff... Yep. Feed into yep. That. Cool. It does. Um, it does take a little bit of tweaking of the script in order for for it to work. It's not something that you can just call a parameter uh, when calling the script. But um, he does call. He does show you exactly what you need to change. Uh, so so kudos uh, to Chris for that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we've talked about it a bunch of times in the past, but I mean, I I can't emphasize enough about how much I I love this his tool. Yep. Yeah. It's it's nice too. Um, you know, if you're doing like a health check of, of an environment or something, just run this script and you've got everything right in front of you. And so there's there's a piece, there's a there's one script that just goes out, grabs all the data, throws it into an XML file. Then you take that XML file, copy it to your machine, and run these other scripts, and it creates the, the Word doc, the Visio, and the, the Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, and that's what I love about it, too, because uh, um, the, the thing I like about it most is that... Uh, you know, you can use that and run the script on a server, grab the XML file, and then you're done. You don't have to worry about, you know, some tools require, you know, Microsoft tools like Rask, you know, require, you know, Excel, right, on the machine. Well, that's not usually possible on a server. It's not something you want to do. So it's nice to be able to grab the, the information and take it to any workstation and, you know, that you have office on and be able to run the reports, you know. Well, not only that, it's simple enough that you can just send the script to somebody and have them run it and say, send me back the resulting file. Um, you know, if it's somebody that... Uh, um, you, you know, you're, you're going to 
say, quote, uh, support services for, for an organization. You know, here, run the script, send it back to me. At least I can get an idea what your environment's like. Yeah, but so you can't bill for that. <laughs> I, have to, I have to review the resulting documents. <laughs> that I can bill for. No, I know. And, and again, I mean, I mean, honestly, I mean, this is like that. that I mean, we, we talked, I think, in the past about, you know, you're kind of what your go-to startup day one thing if you start a project or whatever. For me, this is always my first as soon as I have rights to be able to run it, you know, and get in the environment, it's the first thing I do is run this to kind of get an idea of, you know, what everything looks like, where everything's at, and it's, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. And, and um, you know, I, I actually helped Chris uh, with the original version, and, and I wrote the, the code that goes out and gets the Visio snap in and puts it in, in your computer and stuff. He, if you really want to learn how to manipulate Word or Visio or um, Excel with PowerShell, look at his script. He does some really cool stuff. Yeah, because actually I wanted to do the uh, – actually, a good point, because I, I want to do – I like to run a, a weekly um, uh, CQM, uh, you know, KHI stuff um, in an environment. And, you know, I basically run it and, and up against a couple of pools and then, you know, and provide the data. But it would be nice to be able to, to feed that directly into the Excel uh, thing and then have it, you know, basically press the button, you know what I mean, by itself. Yep, yep. Well, I'll tell you what, speaking of KHI – have you looked at the link validator lately? Yeah, that's wicked. So let's let's skip right to that right now. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> these guys have done it again. So you know we've talked about updates to linkvalidator.com in, the, in previous episodes, and now you can uh, you can import your KHI data, and it will show all kinds of counters and graphs and 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 everything. It's really wicked cool. They're doing some really cool stuff there. So yeah, absolutely. I I, I again, this is my other go-to now. Uh, Build on it. I think we were talking about it last time, but uh, we talked mm-hmm. about the updates. But I mean, I, yeah, I I use this as a model, kind of to as I'm building on an environment, I'm plugging data in here and in, in you know for 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 the environment in in in, uh, in the validator. It's just a, you know as, as a running kind of model of what I'm doing, and so I could you know check stuff and and have yep. a, you know quick reference to stuff, you know IPs and all that. Yep, it's a good sanity check. You know your DNS yeah, records, your firewall rules, everything. Yeah, very good. So uh, Michael and Richard have uh, have done done the link community proud next up um the control panel crashes uh, so um there's an issue now where if you have a lot of uh, enterprise voice configuration a lot of voice routes and you go into the uh, link control panel um that the control panel will crash and yes. microsoft has said no the solution to that is to install the february 2015 cumulative update which we'll talk about in a second um, what, uh, what's not known or what I don't know, but I would be very curious to know is, um, for f- many people don't realize this, but when you, when you log into a link server and you double click on that control panel shortcut, um, it opens up to the control panel. And if you go to say your workstation and you go to the link admin, simple URL, you end up basically at the same, uh, uh website, two different methods there though. Um, when you log into a link uh, server and double-click on the shortcut, you're actually running an .exe file called linkuihost.exe. When you do it from your workstation, you're just going to um, directly to the web page. And we and have a Silverlight seen, control. Yeah, well, I mean, it's Silverlight either way. Right. Um, but we, I'm starting to see some issues now that only happen when you double-click on the shortcut on a on a link server, and um, 
you know, so I'd be curious to see if this is the same. One of the issues that I've seen is, especially with CU10 installed, and CU10 was the, the December 31st uh, cumulative update, is uh, you go into the control panel by double-clicking on the shortcut, and um, you try to enable or edit a user, you get two Silverlight exception errors. And uh, But if you go to any web server, even the same server, and just open up Internet Explorer and go to the control panel simple URL, you don't have that problem. Um, so I'd be, I'd be curious to see if this, this voice route problem only happens uh, in, that, in that same scenario. But anyways, um, for the voice route um, issue, install cumulative update um, 11, which is the February 2015 one, and the problem should go away. Yeah, and I can verify. I mean, so actually, I was working um, with a customer that um, actually was it was one of the drivers of this bug, mm-hmm. and you know, it, it came down to a number of voice routes. Microsoft was kind of saying it was you know over X and a number could happen. But actually, talking to some people, you know, on Twitter community wise, I mean, it, it, that wasn't the only thing. I mean, it was you know like say over five hundred in this case. But I talked to people who had had way over that, and they weren't having the problem. So it seemed like it was something other than just the raw number of routes. But, well, that's uh, that's why I'm asking. I wonder if people only see this when they go into the control panel via the shortcut versus a web page. Because some people, you know, I, I, I know a lot of people that they always log into a link server and double-click on the shortcut to get to the control panel. Right. I know some people that never log on to a link server and just open up a web browser. Right. In this case, my guess would be they're coming in through the admin URL. Yeah, it'd be interesting. In the browser, yeah. Yeah, so definitely, I mean, if this is a problem, especially, you know, it definitely seems to be affecting larger environments, obviously, with a lot of routes. Um, if it was happening to you, um, definitely look about seeing to update this patch. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully yeah. nothing else gets broken, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and with the Silverlight exception error, at least it, uh, you know, there's a workaround. You just don't use the the shortcut to get to the control panel. Um, and actually, if you if you close the two exception errors, everything seems to work fine. All right, next up, um, unexpected behavior when joining a meeting with a non-federated partner. So uh, Lasse Wido uh, wrote this article. It's actually a pretty interesting article. Uh, it gets into a very specific scenario where uh, an organization does not enable automatic uh, partner discovery through DNS for a federation. They have a couple of specific partners defined as allowed domains. And a user gets invited to a meeting with uh, an organization that's not in that allowed domain list, and they cannot uh, uh, they cannot attend the meeting. That's the expected behavior. But uh, what Lasse found out was um, if the user that's joining the meeting is outside of his corporate network, so it's coming in through the edge server that the do not route message or does not route message uh, does not get uh, obeyed and the user is able to join the meeting. So external, they can join it. If they're inside the, their you know own office, they cannot join it. So um, we'll have a link to the article on the summary page. It's, it's actually quite interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. Probably not a lot that you can really do about it unless you start playing around with, um, you know, whacking some, some DNS stuff or putting some bogus DNS so they can't get anywhere. But um, in, interesting to see that that behavior uh, changes depending on where the user is. All right, a big one, big speculation. HP to buy Aruba? What's this? 
Who's, who's read this Bloomberg article? Um, so Bloomberg.com came out with a pretty interesting article saying that um, that basically HP was in talks to buy uh, Aruba, the wireless um, hardware manufacturer. Uh, I can certainly see Aruba as being a, a compelling target for acquisition. You know, those of us that work in Link know that they're kind of the de facto company to to use for link hardware when you're concerned about voice video quality. They're doing some some really cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely, I mean, I, you know, it's interesting uh, if it pans out. I mean, I mean, I think it probably makes no sense for HP. Um, but, yeah, like you were saying, I mean, you know, Ruba's been one on the forefront um, with, uh, you know, software-defined networking with Link and, and HP as, as well, too. So, you know, I'm kind of excited to see what they're going to do. You know, HP is good. We talked about they've got that app store up and stuff and pretty proactive with their switches and stuff and supporting SDN, you know, in their hardware. So adding, you know, Ruba's expertise at, at uh, wireless, uh, you know, is pretty compelling. Yeah, you know, from I, perspective. I went to uh, the Link Users Group meeting in, I think, January, and uh, Aruba had some people there talking about, you know, some of their gear. And, um, you know, they've got some really cool stuff for both inside the corporate environment and for home users that really helps improve Link voice and video quality. Um, both from you know using a an a, a access point controller to something that's not handling an access point controller, but you know can still kind of they can work together. So if you have you know two or three of these access points in your house, they can kind of come together as a mesh automatically without some kind of a controller. It's uh, you know all uh, uh, Skynet stuff, self-aware. Um, so pretty good stuff. I, you know, I, I've been very happy with the, the Aruba stuff that I have here at home, um, and and both companies have set up uh, press releases. I think for this coming week, so you kind of read the writing on the walls. I think this is probably a done deal, and um, you know, kudos to our friends at Aruba. And um, it'll be nice to see. I think doesn't Dell like rebrand some HP hardware for wireless or something? I thought I read something somewhere that um, do they? That's what I thought I read. Maybe I, I might huh. have that wrong, but something that would, that, be, where, that would be really ironic, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, something about you know, the, or maybe it's Dell uses Aruba gear or something. What there there was like you know Dell's in the picture somewhere, and the question is how's that going to affect them? But um, more importantly, it'll be interesting to see how this you know HP juggernaut is going to affect um, Aruba. So, but looking forward to seeing what they come out with. Yeah, hopefully, uh, I guess I'll just say, hopefully they don't, they don't screw it up, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, but, uh, yeah, hopefully if they do it right, then this, this actually goes through. You know, this is true. Uh, it, it could be a good a good, a good, good move for from a Link perspective, I think. Right. Uh, next up, um, another issue with uh, Link and some errors. So we, we found this uh, with a customer in the last few days. Um, if you install... Uh, CU10 for Link 2013, that's the December 31st cumulative update. And remember, there was two CUs that came out in December. This is the second one. Um, if you install this in your environment and then you try to go to the pchat management page to, say, add a, a chat room, uh, you end up getting a 500 internal server error. And um, Graham Cropley, uh, who's uh, I'm happy to uh, say is now... Uh, uh, one of our colleagues over at Modality, uh, wrote a pretty good blog post on how to deal with this and what's going on. And Graham came up with three different fixes that'll that'll resolve this issue. Um, 
The first involves changing the PCHET virtual directory on the external web server, or the external website, I should say, to an application. Um, the next is editing uh, the web.config file. And then the last one was editing um, another config file, application host.config. Uh, but he came up with three pretty good uh, resolutions to this issue. Be interesting to note, I looked through all the information for the February cumulative update to see if, uh, if there was a fix in there. And, uh, and there, there's not enough information, so I, I couldn't really tell. But um, I, I can tell you, I, tried, I, I did find an environment where this problem existed. And uh, I tried uh, two of the different fixes, and they both worked fine. So didn't require an IIS reset, nothing. All you had to do is perform the steps that Graham has, and boom, the problem went away uh, uh, immediately. And I, I should note that the problem affects all of, you, all of your managers that try to get in. Anybody configured as a creator within, um, with Link for PChat would, uh, would see this 500 error. So kudos to uh, Graham for coming up with a quick resolution for this. Yeah, cool. And next up, it wouldn't be uh, a UC Architects episode unless we mentioned another cool script from James Cousin. So James came <laughs> up with a pretty cool photo editor for Link and Skype for Business. And basically, it allows you to import a picture, crop it, uh, move it around, resize it, everything, and then import it for uh, or convert it for use with, with Link as your profile picture. It's really cool. It doesn't require an installation, um, nothing. You just run it, pick your photo, lets you kind of manipulate it as you need to, um, change contrast, change, you know, different uh, brightness, different effects, things like that. Really freaking cool. So uh, check it out. It's, uh, it's well worth uh, looking at. Yeah, because if I play with it, as a matter of fact. It... Yeah, yeah. Next up, uh, here's something that uh, I think just about everybody gets into a conversation about when uh, thinking about doing a link deployment, and that is licensing deployments, or licensing, uh, I'm sorry, link licensing requirements. And, you know, you can read through all the Microsoft documentation and kind of figure it out. And, but if you ask 10 different people, you'll get 10 different answers. Do I need a license for this or do I need a license for that? You know, link licenses is, you know, standard versus um, enterprise licenses or uh, plus CALs and, and all this. Other. So it can be somewhat confusing. Um, and Kevin Keeler at, um, at nojitter.com wrote a pretty informative uh, article on uh, top eight link licensing myths and basically answers a lot of these questions. And it's very informative. I thought, uh, I thought he did a pretty good job on this. We do have a usual caveat that you still should talk to your Microsoft licensing uh, contact to verify all this. But from what I could tell, this all seems to be to pretty, pretty good. So, you know, all these myths about, you know, do you need a license to do this or what kind of a license or, um, you know, the big question about um, standard and enterprise CALs and uh, Link Plus CALs and the fact that they're additive, not, you know, either or. So uh, well worth it. I thought Link was just free. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is it is a, a pretty good article on nojitter.com. It's uh, Polycom VVX and uh, enabling group paging. So here's the scoop. So uh, group paging on VVX phones is not enabled by default. Um, and, of course, group paging is, you know, anytime you have an organization that does a lot of handset paging, you know, they go to link and um, it's not a built-in core feature. So um, 
Anthony Caragall has written a pretty good article on how to enable group paging on the Polycom VBX phones um, and shows you how to edit the, the config files and, uh, or use the, uh, the web interface for changing things and lighting up the button on the, uh, the screen. So, yeah, cool. Um, I'm actually missed this too. Yeah, it's, it's, it, <laughs> it's good it. stuff. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm really surprised. You know, the, the uh, handset paging I think is one thing that every vendor should uh, should support within Link. So, um, but as usual, Anthony does a pretty good job here of, of yeah, uh, you know showing some screenshots and what you need to do and what everything means. And next up, all right, Dave. Now here's your chance. <laughs> Issues with yeah. uh, uh, UCS Unified Contact Store in combination with Link on Prem and Exchange Online. What is this all about? Well, um, basically, it just breaks stuff in uh, OWA. The the Link uh, uh, IM functionality just doesn't work. Um, if you don't uh, pay attention, um, and it's only in the, uh, when you have a link on-premises um, environment, link 2013 on-premises environment, and an exchange um, online uh, mailbox. Um, and as it turned out, if you move your mailbox to Exchange Online without disabling the Unified Contact Store uh, before moving the mailbox, then um, something weird happens with uh, the discovery of your uh, zip address or something like that um, but basically the effect is that your OWA IM integration just breaks down and doesn't work um, so you have to disable unified contact store so move the contacts from uh, your exchange mailbox to your link uh, account and if you have done that then you can move your mailbox to exchange online and then your uh, OWA IM integration just works perfectly this sounds simple but it took me a few months to figure out so I decided to to uh, write a blog post uh, for, for for those that have the same situation because it is stated by Microsoft um, that um, in this scenario, UCS is not supported, um, but it can take a while to uh, catch up and um, figure out that not supported means that stuff can possibly break, uh, as, as is the case. Hmm. Yeah, this is good. Uh, you know, I talked back and forth. I mean, I had some, some similar issues with UCS and, and the 365 and Link on-prem that are just kind of maddening, and there's a lot of... I noticed there's some contradictory documentation, too, out there. So you just got to be careful of what's supported and what scenarios and when you need a hybrid server in the middle to make some things work. Exactly, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I found I found literally two articles that completely contradict each other. Like, okay, which one, <laughs> which one is real then? Yeah, yeah. Well, and then for 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 a little warning, uh, you can disable the UC the UCS the the the, the Unified Contact Store when your mailbox is already moved uh, has been moved to Exchange Online, uh, but then you will lose your you can force it because there's a warning. Um, but if you force it, then you will lose your link contacts um, because they are not transferred from your Exchange Online mailbox to your uh, Link Online account. So. Before moving your uh, Exchange mailboxes, disable uh, UCS via right. policy. So once you move, you can't you can't issue that command anymore. If you're once you once you move your mailbox to uh, you, you can, but you 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 lose your um, um, contacts if you force it. Uh, you, you always have an option to force it, and if you force it, then you lose all your ah. contacts, and that that could be that's not good. No, that's a resume generating event. Yeah, and then you have, if, if, if you don't want to lose your contacts, so you, then you have to move your uh, online mailbox back on prem, then disable UCS and move your contacts back to a link, and then move back again to Exchange Online. So that's a kind of a hassle. Hmm. I'm sure the client won't get confused by you know all these moves back and forth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
All right. Uh, well, thanks for that. That's, uh, that's pretty interesting. Um, deep dive into the set CS pin send CA welcome mail commandlet. So that's that commandlet's a mouthful. But uh, if you do any kind of uh, link uh, onboarding for new employees, you know that there's a commandlet set CS pin send CA welcome mail, which will um, send an email to the user that explains to them their conferencing um they're now configured for conferencing. It will include their PIN number um, and things like that. The, the problem with this commandlet is it forces verbose mode, um, which kind of drives you nuts if you're trying to build this into any kind of uh, onboarding platform. And uh, Flinchbot at uh, flinchbot.com has uh, written a pretty good article on how to use this commandlet and how to customize it so that the verbose stuff doesn't uh, doesn't pollute your screen or your your uh, onboarding application. So check that out. We'll get a link up on the summary page. Uh, and last up for link topics, uh, Skype for Business and Link Troubleshooting Guide or Troubleshooting 101, I should say. This is a, a guide on the TechNet Gallery with uh, a ton of pretty cool troubleshooting tips for Link and Skype for Business. So, um, you know, if you're in the support uh, uh, role in your organization, get it. It's a pretty good uh, document. Comes out, It's out in a PDF. And uh, Thomas Poet did uh, a pretty good job on this. So, Thanks, Pat, for the link topics. So I'm going to run through our, our last uh, stuff for today. Uh, so first of all, uh, we'll have the link up to Deploying and Managing Exchange 2013 HA. Uh, that's the ebook by Michael Van Horenbeek, Paul Culling, and myself. And uh, another self uh, plug, uh, Brian Reed and myself's uh, <laughs> exam reference for 7342, Advanced Solutions of Microsoft Exchange Server 2013. Uh, and uh, the new packed link server cookbook, uh, which in the next episode uh, we'll be giving you a little bit of a review for. Events that you need to watch. Well, first up, we've got uh, Starley Hansen speaking at Ignite. Uh, he's not the only one. Uh, we'll put the link up to his blog where he talks about what he's going to be talking about. Uh, and, of course, the link to Ignite itself. Uh, if you're in Birmingham, UK, then UCBug, that's Unified Comms, Birmingham User Group, will be meeting on May the 13th. We had a turnout of about 35, 40 people last time, and we thank every one of you for, for turning up. Uh, so please do uh, register now for May 13th. Save that date in your diary. And wherever you are in the UK, uh, Unified Comms Day UK is on the 28th of September. And that's set up by myself, Andrew Price, who's the main organiser, Jason Wynn, uh, it's, uh, Link MVP Ian Smith and Link MVP Adam Gent and of course uh, Tom Arbuthnot are helping out behind the scenes organising that. That's going to be uh, a day really sort of like a mix of a one day conference for uh, that gives the spirit of Link Conference, uh, MEC, uh, but for people in the UK. Uh, we'll have uh, speakers from across Europe and maybe further afield. Uh, so uh, on to well, on to the thanks for this week's show. So I'm going to I'm going to thank, uh, of course, uh, Pat for doing some of the link topics today, uh, and of course everybody else who's joined me. Uh, and Andy, uh, I know you're going to have an interesting job editing this week's episode. Sorry, man. <laughs> Thanks for everyone on the show today, and of course, would like to thank our sponsor of this UC Architects episode, Instant Technologies. They are experts in enterprise click-to-chat and e-discovery solutions. Instant Technology announces Instant Chime for Microsoft Link. Transform your service desk with Chime and move your support operations from endangered species to wise enterprise. Start your Chime trial today at www.adchime.com and join the conversation on Twitter via at Team Instant. 
And finally, as ever, before we go, we wanted to remind you that the UC Architects are online. Visit our website today at www.theucarchitects.com or follow us on Twitter at the UC Architects. Use Facebook, then be a friend and like us, or better still, poke us. We're at facebook.com slash theucarchitects. And if you prefer not to mix business with pleasure, then head over to our LinkedIn group, The UCR Clicks. Now, I do do these social network bits on each episode, and surprisingly, no one has asked if we have a Yammer network. Well, we don't need one, because if you love getting down for a Yam Jam, then head over to the Office of <laughs> Web Network, where you will find groups for everything you could possibly want, including Exchange, Skype for Business, and, of course, Office 365. That's over at aka.ms slash Office 365 Network. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast already, you'll find us on the iTunes Store, Windows Phone, Podcast App, or via RSS. For full details of everything we've chatted about today, see our website for links to everything. And we'll see you back for the next episode. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.